you see. Jesus did not sit there and, and tell them, tell them a story about the cross. He took them to what was said. He took them to the prophets. He opened the scriptures. Yeah. So, listen, we're, go we're going to be talking about the apostolic and the prophetic, the fivefold ministry. This is what you're stepping into as a church. Some of you may come into this as a church and you hear a language that you're not familiar with, but you intuitively know that there's something different about this place than the other places that you've been. And, and so we want to continue to give you a language. Everybody say language. See, for what you're really feeling inside about who you are and what you're doing and what the what the vision of the church is. See, as, as leaders, our job is not, is not to, to lead you. Our job is to teach you to see. Because once you see, then you can think. We want you to come to your conclusions of who Christ is. See, once you see Christ, you can never unsee him. See. And so don't follow me. That's why Paul was saying, follow me as I follow Christ. But the opposite is, is once I stop following Christ, because you've seen Christ, you will never stop following him. So that's why a human excuse to leave Christ is no excuse at all. You've been keeping it for yourself anyhow. A person that hasn't seen anything will quit in a heartbeat. Okay, so we're going to be talking. I, I want to lay this out for you, the, this pretext. And, and I, I was at a, a large, I was at the uh, Midwest um, Assemblies of God um, uh, Ministers Activate Conference, and I was going to preach this. And then I began to realize as I got there that, that, I couldn't preach what I wanted to preach or teach what I wanted to teach because there was no depth. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, there was no foundation for what I was going to do. And, and I probably, they probably would have looked at me like a frog in a hailstorm, you know, and got nothing out of that. But I'm going to do that here, a little bit here, but I want to lay, I want to lay a foundational thing here and then we'll just see where the Lord takes us. Okay, um, we're going to be the, the fivefold, the apostolic, the prophet, and everybody say the teacher. And we're going to be talking about the teacher in the, in the last portion of this because many of you, many, the, the strength of the church is the, its ability to teach. Okay, it's the ability to teach. We need teachers. Teachers are so instrumental. They're so misused. Okay. The only reason teachers are acceptable is because most teachers are not weaponized by heaven. When you are a teacher, a fivefold ministry teacher, it's because you've been weaponized by heaven with special information and special knowledge that no one else has. Okay. So we're, we're going to delve into all that, okay? So just bear with me. But I want to lay, lay a pretext because what I... When Pastor Brian was talking about what's coming politically, yeah, yeah, what's coming politically, and, and, and we know this, it's already out there. Okay, once it hits the mainstream media, you know that uh, the, the game's in play again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Paul, Paul writes there, you can look, look at the Bible yourself, 
and I just want to translate something for you to let you know. It says, my brethren, beware lest they cheat you, lest they, lest they, lest they pull you away. Everybody say cheat. See, because what we went through two years ago or three years ago was the stealing of your faith. The replacement of what we stood on. You're going to stand on our information, not on your information. The power to inform means the ability to put a form, a thought inside someone. That's why censorship was so big is because it keeps us from informing, putting the forms of God inside of you. And so when you come to be, to be taught and to be preached at, it's because we are going to inform the preacher has a form that they're placing inside of you. That's the, that's the purpose of renewing of the mind. When the mind gets renewed, means getting rid of old furniture and putting new furniture in. See, many Christians don't learn because they're cluttered with all old information. You have to declutter and then renew. Renew. I got to put a new couch. Now, if you're married, that don't mean you go get a new man. Okay. That just means you gotta you, you gotta work on the renewing of that mind of that man. You have to inform them in those. My wife informs me all the time. I know in which I speak of. Putting the toothpaste, the the the, the top on the toothpaste, that's a real thing. No, that's a real thing. Closing doors, that's a real thing. Picking up clothes, that's a real thing. Yeah, those are, those are real, real things, okay? So pay attention. So when you look at this, this scripture here, and, and this is just to support what Brian was saying, it says, beware lest any man cheat you. Cheat, everybody say cheat, because you got to understand this, because the, the, the scholars use this word cheat, but it really doesn't mean cheat, it means to steal, it means to steal. It means to pull you away from that which is true. You're not going to pull me. That's why Thessalonians says, hold fast to that which is true. Hold fast because if you don't hold it fast, it will leave you fast. That's why people say, I, I used to be a prayer team, but I don't pray no more. But oh, it's so hard to pray now. Yeah, because it left you really fast. Good habits leave fast. I used to be 20 pounds lighter. I know. It left you fast. Okay? I know how this works. All right? So when he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through their philosophia, their philosophies, philo, love, sophia, their wisdom. That word, that Greek word there encompasses four major, four major aspects. Number one, the scientists. This is, look this up in your Greek, philosophia. Scientists, doctors, lawyers, and teachers. Those are the main things that we are facing today. The schools control what they think. The political realm controls everything. The lawyers interpret the laws. And the doctors and the scientists, you know, the, the smart ones, you know, that said that men can menstruate. And, and, you know, the smart ones, they go to school for that stuff. Right? Because what they begin to say is science is 
is no longer objective, it's subjective. And that science is rational. And once it becomes rational, without objectivity, it becomes irrational. Okay? We're living in an irrational society that no longer reasons correctly with object, objective truths. So they, they tell you, the scientists are telling you these things. There's no science behind it. Like the mask, oh my God. You put a face diaper on, I'm gonna laugh at you in your face. That's dumb already. Because there's no science. Science is the accumulation of truths and facts to bring you to a provable conclusion reliable over and over and over again and then they say it's scientifically proven that's why when he stood up there that's why i gave that to you hey it's it's right there greek philosophia paul everybody say paul, paul warned you and pastor brian confirms it okay now why am i saying this because see in the realm of belief your disbelief doesn't make sense Your unbelief don't make sense. I know some people tell you, you know, oh, you know, you don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter what you've been through. When you look at the evidence of what faith is all about and what Christ brings you, you your unbelief don't make sense. And it's time the church wake up to the real message of our faith. Because our faith is absolutely amazing based upon the evidence of what we have, the proof of who Christ is in us. Amen? So let's look forward. Everybody say, let's look forward because you're going to have a new reality of your word. So when you look at this, 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 this teaching today, I'll lay the foundation because we have to do something with our lack of belief, our unbelief, our, our, our doubting, our fears. Because if you look at the foundation of your Bible, it's based off evidence. Everybody say evidence. It's not based off opinion. It's not based off, it's not based off, off of, you know, somebody's dreaming something. It is based off of evidence. That which is falsifiable. Everybody say that, falsifiable. See, if you're, our, this is why leaders quit because they don't understand the evidence and the nature of the gospel is falsifiability. Why is that necessary, falsifiability? Because what falsifiability does to you, it makes you ask the question. Prove that I didn't raise from the dead. Prove that I didn't. The tomb is empty. The 500 witnesses, the appearances to the disciples, the, the virgin birth, Herod. You could go, go down the evidentiary historical facts and uh, the evidence is there. So you have a faith based on evidence. So we shouldn't be trying to convince people or persuade people. What we must do is produce the evidence. And because the evidence is there, it's delusional to deny the evidence. So we live and we preach to Christians that are delusional. There's no need deliverance, they're delusional. 
I, I know, I've, I've been with people that they, 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 they spend 45 minutes, come out, spit it out, dig it out, lay down, bruh. Stop it, think right. Just, just back away, take a step, and look at the empty tomb. So, if you look at Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, and Acts chap, and Luke chapter 1, we, we have the, this author here that's going to lay a foundation for your faith forever. Everybody say forever. Okay, man, I'll go in 15 minutes. I haven't touched anything. It's worth the end. It's in the clock. So, so when you look, when you look at, at, at Acts chapter 1, where Luke writes, Dr. Luke, and the way he writes, you contrast that, you contrast this, these two, two very important bookends, Luke and Acts chapter 1. Luke writes in, in the book of Acts and he, and he said, tells us that he's going to write, he's going to write the historical evidence, O Theophilus, that, that their faith would, would be strong and sound knowing that he's going to do the evidential work and ask the eyewitnesses, everybody say eyewitnesses. See, this, this is important because a person that doesn't see anything is a person that doesn't know anything. See, because we all know we all learn by observation. Observation is your greatest teacher because it builds empirical knowledge, meaning knowledge of, of experience. That's why if you look at the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you look at First uh, John, the epistle of John, the first epistle, he says, I'm not writing to you the things, I'm writing to you the things that I felt and touched and held with my own hands, the word of life. The same writer writes in his gospel, and we beheld his glory. We held it. We saw it. We touched it. We felt it. We're not talking to you about things that we don't empirically have knowledge of. Those are what you call expert eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. And so when you start looking at Access Church and how we started with those six, those, I think it was four crazy people in rebellion from, a, from Caesar sitting in Egypt, wondering, is there a deliverance coming? Because a vision was causing division in them. And you have to do something about that. And so, and so the, the, the six, those three to four people that Brian was leading a rebellion with, they are what you call expert eyewitnesses. See, quitters, quitters are not experts on anything except quitting. Okay. So anytime anybody quits anything, don't look at it. Just, yeah, okay, whatever. Whatever. Because whatever you were doing was not convincing. 
Anytime Jesus called his disciples, he calls them, hey, follow me. He didn't turn around and say, I hope they're following. Everybody say, we're walking. Don't worry about if anybody's behind you. Because I ain't carrying you. I will not carry you. We got to stop caring to, to in, and enabling the weak to stay weak. They, they got to get up on their feet and walk. Stop it. Oh, I don't love my wife. We're struggling. Love your wife. Deal with it. Marriage counseling 101. I don't love my wife. Love your wife. I know that's not too, that's not too uh, uh, secret friendly, but that is very profound. Give me, a, no, there's no answers for laziness except activity. And so when you start looking at the gospel here, you, you start looking at what Paul, when Paul, Luke is writing and he's telling you, listen, I'm going to write by eyewitness accounts. That word eyewitness is autopis. Autopis is where you get the word. Ready? Out means, means self. Everybody say me. Topis is where you get the word autopsy. In other words, I'm writing to people that did the autopsy on Jesus. See, the reason some of you don't believe correctly is because you've never done the autopsy of the text. We're afraid to look at the, the body. We're afraid to look at the facts and the evidence because we don't want to do the autopsy. We want somebody to teach it to us, but we don't want to do it ourselves. See, we must, as a, as a church, we must come into a personal discovery so that way, when people let you down, they let you down. He never did because you've done the autopsy. Amen. I did the autopsy. See, the Bible was written off people that did the autopsy. Acts chapter 1 talks about, talks about uh, Luke writes about that Jesus was around for how many days? 40 days he was on the earth showing himself with mighty proofs and signs, teaching doctrines of the kingdom, which I believe, listen, I believe that part of the doctrines of the kingdom was the fivefold ministry, telling them the, the apostolic was still around, that the prophets were going to be there, that the, that the pastors were going to be there, the evangelists and the teachers were going to be there. Explaining to them the doctrines of the kingdom of God. I love, I would have loved to have been there to hear exactly what he said. But you can assume by how the apostles wrote after that 40-day discussion. How do you think Peter and James felt? Peter and James felt when Jesus appeared to them. And they looked at him and said, what? Right? No, no. What was he doing? Do your autopsy on me. See, unless you do an autopsy, you'll never be convinced. Come on. See, a church that's never done an autopsy, that's why people come in, come on, they ain't done an autopsy. You haven't done an autopsy on what we're doing here at the church. 
You just know they didn't like the songs you sang. Oh, you didn't like the message that day. Oh, you don't like the children's program. But you haven't done an autopsy of the evidence of why we're doing what we're doing. See, that's why we have no time to give to people that refuse to do an autopsy. Leadership is doing an autopsy. See, when you look at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I know I'm all going crazy. But if this is just foundational, second power, we'll get it real technical, and I'll be like, Brian, look. Maybe not as cute, but hate guys that have good hair. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> they can grow beards. I can't grow hair anywhere. <laughs> but see, leadership, listen, leadership, your call will bring you, those, those of you that are here, your call will bring you to evidentiary facts. They're going to bring you to the tomb. Why do you think James and John, they ran to the tomb once they heard that Jesus, they wanted to do an autopsy. They wanted to go and see. They couldn't believe what they saw. And this is the power of our gospel. It's not written by people that didn't know, didn't see, didn't touch. It's evidence that is irrefutable. You got to be ignorant. You got to be a liar to deny the facts of a risen Savior. And the call that comes from that, your call should make you run to the evidence and prove. See, this, listen, when, when you look at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you may, that you may what? Present your bodies a holy living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why? I'll tell you why. Because... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Everybody say prove. See, listen, your call needs to be proven. Not confirmed, proven. You've got to prove it yourself. Come on. I've been doing this for 43 years, waiting for somebody to pat me on the head and tell me you're doing a good job. Ain't gonna happen. What do I do? I keep walking and proving that what he did to me in 1980 is alive and real and well. What I've done in 1995, I'm proving, I'm proving it every single day. See, your steps of trusting God is proving that what he promised you, what he called you to do is coming. Everybody say, prove it. See, your actions prove it. Your daily habits prove what you believe about your purpose and your future. Come on. Amen. So as leaders, we have to come. We have to come to the place where we're going to run to the evidence and do the autopsy ourselves. In fact, listen to this. Galatians chapter 118. Paul writes... This is just foundational, and then the next time, again, I'll go through all 36 slides. Today and tomorrow. Special session. Paul, Paul is writing about going to see Peter. Everybody say Peter. Why would Paul go to see Peter? Why was that such a high mark in the book of Galatians? Because Peter walked with Jesus. Come on. 
See, because your experience with who you've been with is a testimony to others that you are credible. See, listen, I know Brian is credible. I know Access is credible because I know where he comes from. I can trace his lineage. I, I can follow where he comes. I was just in his backyard with the people that know him. Come on. We didn't fall off a, a, a turnip truck. If I, listen, if I, if I showed you all the people that I know that, that of where I come from, I didn't say they liked me, but they can say that I was there. <laughs> you know, you get over trying to be everybody's flavor. You want everybody to like you, sell ice cream. <laughs> preaching is offensive because preaching is not a discussion. See, one of the worst things the church ever did in the 1990s was says, what do you think about that scripture? Who cares what you think about the scripture? How did that make you feel? Who cares about how that makes you feel? Deal with the evidence. Let's get a book club. Let's read a book. No. Why don't you first obey the book? Do the autopsy on the scriptures, and then you can write little books for little people. See, when, when we begin to look at, at what it takes to be a leader in the day we're living in, we need to be a rabbi. Everybody say rabbi. See, a rabbi means many or much. So when they came to Jesus, they, they were calling him, you're too much for us. You got too much information. You know everything about everything. See, a well-informed teacher is someone that has multiple information and is a master about it. Masterful in this thing. See, but you become masterful in your teaching is when you've done your autopsy so that you are firm in your own beliefs. James, the brother of Jesus, did not like Jesus growing up. You read Matthew 13. Matthew 13 turns around and says, his brothers didn't believe him. I got 18, I've been going 18 minutes or I got 18 minutes left. Are y'all going to cut me off? You're going to kick in 18 minutes? That's all I got left? These are drinking saints, not sipping saints. I flew, we flew 20 some hours to, to preach 15 minutes? Oh, another set, oh, okay. I'm just barely starting to rail. You know what that means, rail mean? Rail, rail is the flow. Rhema is the result of a flow. Enlightened thought. That's why sometimes our services are so short, we can't flow into a rhema. We have to give space. That's why what Brian did in Del Rio, we bless our heart. I was going to send him a text. I said, I leave him alone. He's in glory right now. I would send him a text every morning, every Sunday morning. Because see, 
the autopsy. I, I'm see. I'm not. I'm not joining. I didn't join this thing. God assigned me here. So once I got assigned to this movement, I I began to do an autopsy. How can I do an autopsy if I don't pay attention to the evidence on the ground? All the preachers that come through here. I watch all them preachers come through. Some cute, not so so cute. Some, you can scratch your head, but it's necessary because the ones that, that don't fit in, they're like the diamond and the diamond, and then you put a black backdrop between them, and now you have a contrast. Some people expose contrast and the beauty of what you're doing. Paul, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 that, that there, were, there were undercover spies from Jerusalem that went into it went into his meetings and began to confuse people with circumcision and the rules of this place. And they don't do it like we do it. And then, and, and Paul, Paul says they came from Peter. So when Peter met Paul later on and just read Galatians chapter two, he says, I withstood Peter to his face because it was his fault that his people were out there teaching things that Jesus Christ died for. You are misrepresenting the autopsy. See, because there are things that made it to the cross and things that made it through the cross. And circumcision didn't make it through the cross. It just made it to the cross. There are things that we, 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 we are calling holy and sanctimonious. and They made it to the cross, but they didn't make it through the cross. Amen. So when we start looking as leaders, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the tools for I'll show you the tools because they're too expensive to give away. To do your autopsy. You got to do your autopsy because we try, we waste energy on convincing people. Paul, listen, if you look at, if you look at the book of Acts, Paul wasted a whole chapter trying to convince a group of Christians, seasoned Christians, that circumcision, circumcision wasn't good for the Gentiles. Why do you have to write about that? See, we, we waste time on things when people haven't done their own autopsy. That's why Jesus says, search the scriptures and you will find me. If you love me, you're going to find me. You're going to do the autopsy. When, listen, again, I'm going to leave this here. We're going to have some tacos, and then I'm going to come and lay it on you on the fivefold. Okay? Because if you're still, listen, if you're still concerned, am I called? Aren't I called? Listen, you are called. You just haven't answered the invitation. Are you waiting for a different thing? Because the calling is, is an invitation to dance. I can walk away anytime, but, but I saw the evidence. Saw the evidence. Can't turn away. See, that, I'm not saying that I've been perfect. I'm just saying that I've allowed perfection to keep working in me. Because sometimes things that make it to the cross, they try to make it into our lives. And we got to deal with those things. 
our humanity. Listen, and here's another thing. People get used to your humanity. Love your humanity. I said, but I'm so, I didn't, I didn't say pet it. I say love it enough to kill it. God became man. That's how much he loved you. Think on that. Jesus did not come in time. Jesus happened to time. Emmanuel stood because he knew he was going to be the body, the autopsy of everything and everyone. That's why when he appeared to Thomas, and Thomas says, unless I touch, he says, come on, autopsy time, let's go. Come on, autopsy time. Look at this thing. Come on, touch and feel. Everybody say touch and feel. See, because if you have not touched and filled it, you'll never be able to walk in what you really know you should be doing because you haven't touched it or felt it. There's something athletically, and I know this, I know this personally. There's something athletically that once you hit the ball, once you do the execute the thing right, there's a feel to it that you can never forget, and you work towards that feeling. It's called getting into the flow. It's about converging those things that you know intuitively, intuitively, the things that you work on privately, that at the time and the place you execute it in front of everybody and you become unstoppable. Because the gospel is a feel thing too. You got to touch it and feel it because it has to be true or false. You have to handle the counterfeit so long and then you handle the truth so long and you know the difference because the evidence will speak to you. See, listen, why, why haven't you fallen out of ministry with all the other flakes and, and, and clowns that, that dropped out when, when they were called at the same time that you were called and you see them, now they're, now they're doing all kinds, now they're, now they're what, what we would call um, uh, life coaches. They're not preachers, no, they're life coaches now. And they, and they want to teach you to be happy and to be your best self now. And they want everybody everybody to feel good. No, I want to cause you pain. I want to bring mental anguish. I want you to, listen, I want you to really look at the poison that you've taken in your mind and your system that if you do the autopsy, you realize that the autopsy is the only medicine for your life. See, I don't preach this way because I'm excited. I preach this way because I'm convinced. Brian don't do what he do because he's, because, oh, he makes him feel good. No, no. He does what he does because he's been convinced. You good? Are you convinced? Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. I don't want to put words in your mind. So in this, in this calling, this, this, this calling, it's an invitation. See, a calling is an invitation. Think about it. This, it's, it's an invitation. How many have ever had a wedding? One. Those that you did it twice, you don't get a wedding. You get a hand clap. I'm just kidding. I'm just, that was mean, huh? See, now, now listen, now listen. And I know, see, we, 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 
you said that was me. No, because of what I'm asking you to do is said the person that does the person that does it right, and the person that didn't do it right, do an autopsy. Because you have to own up to what you find in the evidence. Check the blood, check the tissue, check the nerve. <laughs> Why did you do what you did? Oh, amazing, huh? That if you do an autopsy on yourself, you'll stop blaming others. Because I've got to do an autopsy of what I did, what I did. My wife is, my wife washes my clothes. She can do an autopsy. And she does. How do you know the autopsy on our life is good and our ministry is good? Because she still travels with me. The greatest evidence, the greatest evidence is the autopsy she does. Not what I say, but the expert witness that does the autopsy on the one that's doing this thing. Does she share the same enthusiasm, the same joy, the same feelings? How many of you have ever had a guest speaker and their wives were like a wet rag and you're like going, really? And that guy could preach up a storm. Yeah, you think it's a storm, but it's a cloud with no rain in it. It's when the wife comes along and can identify and testify of the autopsy that she's done on you to make sure that you're qualified to speak to them. See, this is, this is the type of work leadership needs. Stop blaming people, looking around. Do your autopsy on yourself. Why? Because I've got to prove what is the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God. Amen, let's stand. Father, thank you for lunch. May they get heartburn. with what I gave them. <laughs> let them do an autopsy, Lord. Father, let that filter of self-examination, looking at the evidence of who Jesus is, putting their hands in the one that called them. Look at all the evidence that you left for them to put their life and mind around, wrap their minds around. From the empty tomb, to the 40 days that you walked, to the 500 people that Paul writes in Corinthians. And then he says the powerful things, if Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. Father, let us do an autopsy on your body today in Jesus' name. Amen. To wrap everything up, got that first session up. I didn't get to this. Remember the autopsy. A witness is, is one that does the autopsy. And, and, and again, Dr. Luke, okay? Dr. Luke, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'll show you resources and links because I'll be in the area for, for a while. Um, I'll leave the, the information with the church on the books you can get, okay? But Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke writes like a doctor. In fact, how you can tell your Bible is credible. When people say, well, the Bible is written by a bunch of old men. Yeah, a bunch of really smart, smart. In fact, you know, our governmental system is still built on, on Plato and Aristotle. And, and, and those guys are. And Paul, listen, Paul, in his 
ideology and how he thought and how brilliant he was as a philosopher. If you read Acts chapter 17, where he takes on the Epicureans and the Stoics, which were the philosophers of, of, of the day, and he just nails them and explains the unknown God, and he uses in him we live and move and have our being. He reaches back into a philosophical Greek uh, ideology that stumps them and it gives them answers to things that they had no answers for. That's Paul. Paul was a philosopher, a master lawyer. And he, and he wrote at such a high level that when God sends Luke to him, Dr. Luke, everybody say Dr. Luke. See, because you got, see, you got a doctor that's attached, and, and this is awesome, a medical doctor that's attached to this ministry. High, everybody say high thinkers. See, it, see, when you see things, you think differently. And the reason we preach is to get you to think. Get you to think. You got to think. Tell your neighbor, think. See, the reason you get depressed is because you stop thinking. You plateaued. You stop thinking. You become unproductive. Tell your neighbor, don't settle. Think. Think. David sat under a pomegranate tree. King David sat, sits under a pomegranate tree. Saul sits under a cactus. There's no seeds in a cactus. There's plenty of seeds in a pomegranate tree. Think. Think. We can do this. Think. I started fixing my car because I started to think. One of the things that my, my father-in-law told me, I, I'm changing tires, doing brakes, doing, I ain't going to pay a mechanic if I could do it myself. I've never done it before. But guess what I, I did, what my, my, my father-in-law taught me to do? Think. Sit back and think. I was like, I ain't doing that. I'll pay somebody to do this. No, no, that's just too much work. I don't want to do that. Well, the older you get, you say, do I want to pay $1,000 for breaks? $40 breaks and this? What, what's the thing? They have the knowledge to do it. Well, why can't I get that? I have hands. I have, let me get the tools. Right, start thinking. I'm changing brakes and then I tell, okay, baby, the brakes are done. Get ready to go. She, and the first thing she says, did you do an autopsy on the brakes? Yes, they work. Yes, they work. And, you know, we're driving on, see, because I'm learning to think. Think differently. Because there's a sermon that my father-in-law gave me when I was a young boy. Think. Think. Your greatest, your greatest tool is to think. That's why Satan attacks your mind. He attacks your mind. You have to know the methods the methodia, how the devices he uses against you. See, he, see, Satan can't tempt me with chocolate ice cream. I don't like chocolate ice cream. Get rid of chocolate ice cream. But man, give me some bluebell banana pudding. Oh God, three scoops every night before bed. Oh, hallelujah. Popcorn, you gotta have popcorn at night. Talk to me, Jesus. Listen, you can't. When I fast, I have to fast against those things. What? Those are devices. I'll tell, I'll tell you how awesome the Word of God is. 
in Acts chapter 17, when Paul's confronting, and I'm jumping around to tie things up for you. Paul, Paul says that there's going to be an art, an art that people worship. It's going to be an art that worship that he's comparing the idols in Acts chapter 17 towards the end of his uh, preaching to the Stoics and Epicureans. And, and he talks about the, the, the graven images they make, the idols they make. And, and then he says, and then once he gets through the wood and the, 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 all the idols they make out of, out of precious wood and all this, that men make them. And then he says, and art. Everybody say, and art. That word art is the Greek word techne. Techne. The word techne is where you get the word technology. church can't even function without technology anymore and some of us think that technology makes church and we begin to worship our techne our artsy Paul warns us about this it's how, this is how progressive the word of God is but if you don't do an autopsy into words then you sit there going well then I can do whatever I want and no you can't there's not a book written for lazy people. All technology will make you lazy. Okay. That was a great point, Elias. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I grew up knowing every one of my friends, it didn't matter who, all their phone numbers. Now some of us don't even know our names. See, smartphones are designed to make you dumb, to dehumanize who you are. We've fallen, see, we've fallen into this idea in worship too. It's, I'm talking about the church. We don't have a drummer. We can, we can blend one in. Why? It's artificial. If it has no breath, it has no place. See, we don't put a drummer up there and make a sound just to make a sound, to make us feel better. We are where we're at. We grow our people. We grow our gifts. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And this is how we, this is how we dumb down. We don't need you. We could do it ourselves. We begin to worship artificial intelligence. We've got to be very careful. Because the Bible is very progressive. This church is going to dominate the city. How many see that when, when, when it unfolds, I'm, see the church is folding. I've seen this church go from a little Bible study to, to a little house and, and, to, and it begins to unfold and now you're here. How many believe that Access Church is getting ready to unfold again? See, it's the manifold wisdom of God. See, wisdom causes you to unfold. You're stuck in a season because you're not seeing the wisdom of that season to unfold to a new season. See, I'm unfolding to a new season. I'm unfolding. I pulled away from prophesying prophetically. I've been getting more of a teacher so much, right? Teaching, teaching. And so we got, to, I'm going to share this story with you. 
There was a prophet by the name of uh, Augustine Akala. Okay, is there a time limit on this session? Or just till the three pass hurt? Okay, I'm going Okay, so Augustine Alcala was a prophet, and then I believe, I believe, I mean, a huge prophet. Um, the Kansas City revival that started in the, the mid 80s, 70s, late 70s, 80s, IHOP and, and Mike Bickle and all those things. There was this little prophet by the name of Augustine Alcala. He was maybe about five foot two, spoke. There's only one videotape of him, and, and I want you to, if you can get a chance to YouTube him, Augustine Alcala. This was a worldwide prophet with a powerful words i mean this guy was this guy was a freak of nature okay he didn't care listen he didn't care about knowing your name and everybody gets impressed people know your name so even even though you get a word and somebody says he, he didn't even know my name and he knew that so what if that impresses you you have no idea where you're going he knew that detail <laughs> duh this guy was a world worldwide quiet you know not just just walked in little guy like this looked like um uh peabody the cartoon peabody with the glasses and really he was gq before gq was gq in the church so when you walked into there you know he was hat backwards before hat were backwards okay this it was that trendy that's so far ahead but prophetically that's how he was this man, he comes to California, never met him, never heard him. My, and my sister is singing for him at his revival. He goes to the revival, and I, my sister, of course, I was supporting my sister, so I wanted to go here. So I went to go hear him. After the service, right, I was taken back. This guy was just blowing it up. And I was seeing him just, people were just getting, getting prophetic words and, and, and things and everybody was just falling out and the power of God was falling and, and I was 14 years old at the time. And, and after the service, he comes up to me, he comes up to me and says, I want you to stay with me for four days. I'm like, dog, I don't even know you. <laughs> now, now, look, look I, so I think, so you know how you see somebody up there, you know, on the stage and you see them, and then you see them in real life and they're like wet noodles. Three days in a row, right? I'm sitting here because he wanted me to take care of him. He wanted, he never talked to me. He never offered me food. He never offered me anything. He would go in his room. He would stay in his room. He would never come out. For four days, I was just sitting on, laying on the couch. I'm going, what is going on? This guy sucks. <laughs> I was expecting heavens to open up, angels to fall down, wisdom to come and talk to me and, and share his heart with me. And here's, here's this little guy. Pick up my bag, son. I'm picking your bag. I was a wrestler, a great wrestler. I'm, I'll throw you through the wall. I do Might makes right, you know? Well, he's about my weight. I can throw him around. Really, I was thinking headlocks, chokes. I was thinking all kinds of things. That was my mind. That was my mind. And so, as it turned out, at the end of the fourth day, that Friday, I'm getting ready to go, and he's going... I'm going, thank God it's Friday, and I'm out of here. And I'm, I have all these evil thoughts in my mind to tell my sister about this guy. Whatever you see up there on that pulpit, that's not who he is. It's a, it's a hoax. It's a show. He's not that way. So, 
We're getting ready to leave. Sit down, son. God is going to use you. I'm like, uh-oh. What's happening here? I'm going to die young. I'm going to die soon. I'm looking at, I'm 14. Think about this. This child abuse. <laughs> this theological child abuse. Because I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. I was sitting there. I'm going to die young in a foreign land. What you see me do, you will do. When I die, my mantle will fall upon you. That's, this is the good stuff. The freaky stuff comes in the second. And I'm looking at this guy. And, he, and, and after he says, my mantle will fall upon you, he goes, when I die, you will know it. Now, I know what, that don't mean anything to me at that time. I'm like going, okay, get me out of this place. But I knew, I knew something was happening there. We get in the car, we take off, and I, I get home. I don't say anything to anybody. If you know me, I'm very private about my experiences with God. Because they're mine. They're not yours. That's why when we do ministry, I don't, I always said, turn the cameras off. We do the, we do the housework here. We give, we don't, everything's private. It's between us and God. They didn't come to church. They didn't come to church. They, they lost. And so, very private about that. So I never said anything. I told my wife what happened to me. She, you know, later on, she'd become my girlfriend. This was on me. See, if she would have known that that happened to me, she never would have dated me. Because she was a good girl trying to find a bad boy. I was the bad boy she found, and then she didn't know that that, was, that word was over me. And, and so the thing that was crazy was that he did die. He died in Turkey. He died of cancer, uh, a, a strange cancer, got him all of a sudden, and he died quickly. Everything he said happened. 2000, 1980, 1980, the power of God falls on me. Crazy. Now, she's, she was the only one that knew that, that, that prophecy. My sister knew. My dad knew. Of course, I told my dad. I said, Daddy, your preachers are weird. God, absolutely. And you know why I am the way I am in ministry? Why you can actually walk up to me and touch me? It's because I dealt with that. And I didn't want to be the untouchable. I didn't want to be, oh, I got, I got nobody can, I got to hide out. You know, I, I had the supernatural stuff. No, man, I got flesh. People, you know, honor people. People come to hear. But see, here's the thing. I'm here for you. You're not here for me. I'm here for you. And this is a different perspective. Different perspective. You know, when people say, you know, when I train young ministers, you know, and, and we touch the sexuality portion. Because they say, well, you're in front of all so many women. You just say, how do you deal with that? No, it's not how I deal with that in the human perspective. It's this. It's not how they look at me. It's how I look at them. 
I said, every woman is my sister. It's my sister. It's my sister. Holiness comes from a perspective. So I always wanted to be touched and, and be with the people. I knew God gave me something divine, something holy, something I didn't ask for. It's all his. I got to give it away wherever I go. So I'm always looking places. That's why I preach so long because I really don't care. I'm just trying to pour out and give. If you ever sit at a table with me, I'll sit and pour theological constructs all over the night, all night long. I don't get tired. Why? Because what he gave me was my, was his. I give it out. But I'm here for you. I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to a rock. They'll sit there long enough. I'll say, man, you look pretty beat up. How'd you get here? I'll preach about rocks to the rocks. Why, why is it? Because we have to begin to connect with each other. I never wanted to be that. You know, I grew up with that era where the man of God, don't touch the man of God, go away. Hey, let's go off to the side. You get those guys that go off to the side, let them go by themselves. Let them walk away like Joe Biden. <laughs> yep, I'm not housebroken. Sorry about that. And so... So because there's a reality to the anointing. And so with that in mind, I got kicked into a higher gear. Um, I preached at this, the men's conference or this Elevate conference in, in Chicago with all these pastors and leaders. And, and um, I began to, I, I finished the first night and I was preaching, finished. I stepped off the stage, and there was this, there was one of the head presbyters there. Uh, I believe he was the head treasurer of the whole district and all that. So I went and I dropped a word on him. He was stunned. He was he was shooken up. And and I was like going, okay, I walk away, everything's fine that night. I meet him in the lobby in the morning. And he walked, he walked up, he goes, grabs me by the arm, he goes, Do you know what you did to me? I said, yeah, I just prophesied to you. And he looked at me and goes, no. I went home and I told my wife, there's a real prophet in our district. You have to come. He's real. This guy's real. And the wife said, no, there's no, the, all the prophets now are fake. They're all fake now. They all prayed, preached the same, prophesied the same. They got his favor, got his good, got, you know, party line. If it's not love, it's not God, right? Anyway, so he comes to me because he told his wife. And he told his wife, no, no. This guy, when he prophesied to me, it was like Augustine Akala was standing in front of me. And I heard, look, connect the dots see there was a there was a there was a elevated thing that took place right there something jolted me something happened something made sense see you can put things away prophetically but then all of a sudden because they really did happen and they did mean something sometimes the meaning takes time to get there that's why you got to be patient in your maturing process 
I, I laughed at that moment when that guy told me that. When Augie told me, yeah, you're going to die young. Yeah, whatever. I'm 14. What do you, what's a 14-year-old going to do that with that? It's like giving a three-year-old a keto uh, Ferrari. What's he going to do with that? Yeah, it's an awesome car. Yeah, but he can't do anything with that. I couldn't do anything with that. But that prophetic connection, that blew me away. That he would make that to me at that time. That's how precise the ministry is. That's how tight the calling of God is. That's why you can't be caught up in coincidences. Coinky dinkies. Everything is ordered by the Lord. Everything is ordered. Everybody say ordered. See, look, I heard that at 14 so that at 60, I can make sense of it. God will do that just to disturb your spirit all your life. To let you know that there's something on you and in you. That you'll always be different from everybody else. I've been dragged out of church, kicked out of church. I've been, you, you name it, I've, it's happened to me. Okay? So it doesn't faze me. People say, oh, I'm sorry I left. No, I'm not. I've seen them walk out in droves. I've had revivals closed down right on me. You know, in the black churches, they put the finger up and everybody walks out. You got to know, you got to be church culture to know that. They all do this and they all leave. That's all. That means reverently, we don't like you. We're out. Shut the whole revival down. So I said that to, to say that, that we're in a prophetic time. Access Church is in a time of transition into something greater and becoming all of what God has called you to be. I was no more a prophet then than I am now. When I was 14, I was, I was no more of a prophet then than I am now. The difference is, is that I've matured now. I got rid of more stupid. More delusions. More ministry myths. More humanity that's died. And you begin, to, you begin to lock in to who you are. See, I'm 60 years old, but really, do I have 15-year-old emotions? Or am I 60 now? Have I learned what I need to learn now? See, we're not pedions no more. We're not children no more with half-grown thoughts. We're mature. That's why Paul writes in Corinthians when he says, when I was a child, when I was a pedion, I spoke like a child. What does that mean? I had half words. They're not fully, they're not fully mature. But when I became a man, when I matured, when I grew, I had not half thoughts, but I have full thoughts now. See, there, there are guys that can preach. Oh, they can prophesy. They could be right. Even a, even a, uh, a broken clock's right twice a day, right? They could preach something. They sound, they, they hear you do, they do their thing. And, and, and you know what? whatever because their maturity level will show up everybody say show up see your maturity level will show up you can never hide your maturity level because when it's time to be a man the child shows up see are you really the age that you really are 
or are you still hurt from the boyfriend when you were in high school? Have you still acted that out? Are you still in all your... Emotionally, we have to grow in order to really, really grow. To mature correctly. Let go of it all. And do your autopsy on yourself. Know the cause of your death. Because then you'll understand grace and your resurrection. It's all his resurrection. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have made it. I cannot go. I was disqualified. But his love, amen. 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 So we, we have to start doing that. We have to start doing those autopsies. And I, and I, and I say that because that, that never made sense to me. Even though it was true, but I kind of backburned it. But when that man hit me with that, boom, something happened in my spirit. And I said, ah, no. That means I have to start moving governmentally. That means I have to start opening up some things that I closed before. That means that I have to start looking to the miraculous again. That means that my perspectives have to start changing to what they were truly intended to be because he gave me mature thoughts young, but I buried them in my immaturity. And sometimes when that happens to us, we think that's who we are. But don't you know that Satan calls those character flaws. God calls them, God calls them sincere, immature moves. They were sincere, but immature. We want now mature, sincere moves. I'm mature. How old are you really? Man, do we still think we're 25 and we're 40? Are we maturing? This is part of ministry. It's part of ministry. You, you want to lead? Lead yourself in everything. Am I acting like a 60-year-old? Oh, when my wife's not around, I'm out there. How stupid, how can you? But there are men that, that, that do that stuff. Why do they do that stuff? Because they're half grown. Grow up, mature to your age. How old are you? And what has your, what, what is your responsibilities? Responsibilities. What, why, why is that word so big in leadership and ministry? Because responsibility means the, uh, the response to what you are able to do. It's not, it's not responding to things you can't do. I can't do that, brother. I can't do that, brother. They asked of me things I couldn't do. No, things that you wouldn't do because you weren't mature enough to do them. Because all your character is revealed in your task. All your characters rebuilding your task. God will not let anything be half grown in you in ministry. He'll expose you on everything. That's why you got to do your autopsy before a prophet does. You have to do your autopsy. You have to come to these conclusions. Why? Because there's where your true growth goes. 
I never thought I would make it to 60 with how dumb I was. What I thought of life, what I thought of ministry. See, being gifted so young makes you delusional about the future because you think you can get away with things that nobody else can. There are rules for the ungifted and rules for the gifted. No, 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 no. You learn and you start putting away childish things. Marriages are broken because of childish things, not devastating things. Tonka toys, when you should be driving cars. Get, get the idea of growing up correctly. Have those discussions with your spouse. Don't have ridiculous arguments. Grow up together and start saying, we're acting like kids. I'm not talking to you. You're not talking to me. You're not talking to me. But you get up in church and, oh! Because you're acting like children. It's okay to have those disagreements as adults. Like I said, opposites attract when you're dating. Then they irritate when you're married. Amen. So, so leadership, as we move in leadership, Access Church must understand the apostolic call that's on this house. Must understand that we're, we're not the same as every other movement. We're not like, we're, we're not for everybody else. We want everybody, we're for everybody, but we know that not everybody will fit into the nature and the character of what we're doing. See, Access Church is not Fake it till you make it. Yeah. It's reality. When I walked in that room five, six years ago, about six years ago now, five years ago now, I walked into that room and God gave me a download of people and things. I mean, they, they thought that, that Brian told me about this thing. No, God sent me there. And, and, and with that came a seed, and I told Brian, I'll say, I'll be there anytime you need me. Anytime. I did not know that I just, in his mind, he goes, I just destroyed my church plant. This guy just killed everybody. Yeah, Basilio was there. Was that a, a true? The stir that went in there. Listen. If something doesn't die when a real prophet and a real apostle comes, nothing was done. If there's not controversy and winds of the spirit, I remember when I said Pearson over here. They, they, um, what's the name of? Chuck Pearson, right? Pearson. His ministry reaches out to me and because Chuck wanted to know. And who am I? I don't even, anybody ever see me advertise on Facebook? Instagram? No, because I belong to him. He puts my name in the wind. I do, I'm on assignments. I, I don't take engagements. I take assignments. I'm assigned here. That's why I got mad when the plane got delayed because I, I wanted to be here. I had to get on my assignment. And Anna said, relax, God will get us there. And so, 
when Chuck Pearson came here, the whole leadership got shook up. Everybody, every marriage got, oh. Brian goes, I didn't call Brian because I knew when Chuck Pearson, when they called me and they says, we need a border town city. Your, your name came into our office and uh, you, were the, you were the one. I'm like, okay. I maybe hand shook him one time, waved at him, talked to him, but he knew who I was. Well, crazy, right? I said, yeah, Brian, Chuck Pearson wants to come down to your ministry. I sent him your way. <laughs> Brian goes, what? Yeah, okay. What I say yes to. He said yes to blowing the dross off the ministry, to help shape it to what it really needs to be, to begin to give it form prophetically, apostolically, to announce to the region, Access Church is here. To understand that there was going to be an access for people that really want the move of the Spirit again. I'm telling you, it's a different thing. See, I've been involved in things like that all my life. I didn't recognize it until all of a sudden when the guy says, Brother Augustina calls him, I want... And you know what that said? Walk different now. Talk different now. Approach it different now. So that's what I'm going to do. You mind? Yeah, I said that. Okay. 18 minutes already? Anna says 10 minutes at 10 minutes. Okay, I want I want to show you what what uh, to wrap up what I first said, then we're gonna get into the apostles, the prod, the fivefold real quick. Okay, I'm gonna give you some of that so you can see a picture of all the all the fivefold uh, gifts. So when people come up here, you can tell you can know right away that oh that's an apostle, that's a prophet, that's a pastor. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a that's a teacher, that's a teacher, that's a teacher, okay. In Acts chapter 1, Dr. Luke does this. And I I alluded to, but I'll read it and then we'll close it. He goes, the former former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. Everybody say, do and teach. Listen, this is the power of the gospel. This is Jesus. Jesus does it and then he teaches about it. How do you teach spitting in an eye? No, you do it first and you explain later. Y'all crazy, you don't get it. You don't know the things that I, because I don't talk about all the miracles, the crazy things I've done, wheelchairs, blind eyes, crazy things that I've done because boom, it was there, let's do it. Then you teach it later. Everybody say the do and the teach because don't forget, Luke says this, I'm going to write to you an accurate chronological order so that you can understand. Everybody say chronological. I mean, how it happened, when it happened. So Jesus did things and then he taught later. Now, you may not have seen a teaching on uh, the, the, the spitting on the ground, but just because they didn't write it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'll teach you how the Bible, I'll teach you how the Bible works. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there with me. Okay? Until the day in which the 
which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Who was the first apostle? Come on. Peter, who else? Anybody? Come on, come on, Bible, come on. You know you're wrong, right? Mary Magdalene. So when people have problems with people in the ministry, she was the first apostle. She was, she had the first appearance of Christ and he sent her to go tell the disciples. He didn't say go tell my apostles, he said go tell my disciples because she was the first one sent so when people have problems with women in ministry, well, then you have problems with the first apostle of the Bible, of the New Testament, which was Mary Magdalene. Apostelo. Apo means away. Stelo means to send. He sent her away. He pulled her away. She was by her. Come on, you don't get it. See, so when you are in a real apostle, most of the time you're by yourself, away, and then you're sent. People don't like to be away from the crowds. That's why God is apostolically moving churches from big places to small places. Why? Because he's sending you to the places that need something there. By yourself. Everybody say, by yourself. Hmm. Amen. Ready? He says, he through the Holy Spirit given commandments to all the apostles that have chosen. So everybody learned something about Mary Magdalene? We'll get to that. Yes. All the women said. Yeah. To whom he also presented himself. Everybody say present himself. Why? Ask me why. why. So you can do an autopsy. See, when you start understanding that your Bible, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. The Bible reads you. It, it, it gives you the intent of the heart. Look at, look at uh, Ephesians, the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, give, dividing the sun of the bones and the marrow. And, not, and it, then he says, in the intents of your heart, everything. Word of God, read me. Read me so that I can give an accurate autopsy. See, even, see, even... If you look at a body, if you're not educated, then you don't know what you're looking at. See, in other words, do you see what you see? Come on, I'll try it over here. Do you see what you see? See, some of us are in church and we don't see what we see. Okay, anyway, let's go. Sorry, Brian. Okay, to whom also we present alive. Everybody say alive. Why is that important? Why is that word alive important, right? Because that, that Greek word, see, I'll tell you, Paul, Luke was such a doctor. Luke says, Luke could have used the word zoe. Zoe means eternal life, life in its absolute sense, the essence of life. He could have used the word bios, meaning the fact that it's a living organism and you can study the science of a living organism, the bio. But he uses the word zao. Zao means the animation. In other words, I'm moving. I'm animated. Zao. See, some of us, some of us got here. How'd you get here? Through zao. Zao is the expression of zoe, and it affects the bio. Clear as mud. 
Okay? One more, one more time. You buy the tape. Boy, that's I'm I'm from the 80s, huh? Buy the tape. You like that, huh? That's how you know I'm old. The cassette tape, put that cassette tape in. <laughs> the Zao, the animation. He didn't use, he didn't use Zoe, the life of God. Life in his absolute sense, eternal life. Zoe. When you're born again, you are you receive Zoe, life in the absolute sense. When you are moving, it's Zao. That's the animation. He says, I'm animated. Come and check and check it out. Because if I'm dead, I can't move. And it's affecting my biology. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, here we go. Y'all good? Clear as mud? Because again, this is, listen, this is in the face of the eyewitnesses, the ones that write the Bible. So when you say, I, I don't believe the Bible, will God really bless me? Have you not done the autopsy? Your unbelief doesn't fit. We, we keep making room for unbelief and we give people excuses. You don't know what they've been through. You know, look at the evidence and change your delusional thinking. Be evidence-based, not emotionally based. See, and what I'm trying to do in the prophetic is get people evidentiary-based and not emotionally based. Oh, he fell. Oh, he moved. Oh, oh, he spoke in tongues. All those things can be measured emotionally, but can they be measured evidentially? Because it's the evidence that's going to change everything. When, my, when I die, my grandchildren, they're going to remember all my emotions, but what I do will leave an evidence that God was with me. See, what you do leaves evidence. I saw Brian and, and, and Sandra, and, and, I, and I saw the initial group, Basilio and, and, his, and his wife, and everybody's name's escaping me. It's just like that when I start getting in the flow. Listen, I, I was there when, when they had this crazy idea and everybody could have called them crazy if they would have stayed there. But because the Zoe, the life of God, was Zao animated, they show a bio, something that can be met. Yeah. Something made alive. See, everything can be made alive. If there's Zoe in it, there can be Zao in it, and then there can be a biological reaction to it. That's why all science is reasonable. You can reason everything back to God. That's why the resurrection, understood correctly, gives you no room for doubt because you're looking at the evidence. Now, you may not like it because it don't make you feel good. It don't change what they told you, but it changes how you receive what they told you. Isaiah 53 gives you that word. 53.1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord be revealed? That, that, that word, who has believed? Everybody say believed. It's the word haman. That word haman doesn't mean to mentally ascend. That word haman means to mature, to, to raise that thing up, to nurture. In other words, you can, you can be so on fire one day, but if you don't nurture it, you'll lose your fire the next. You got to, if believing is the, the fact of every day. 
Every day, every day. That's the work of ministry is belief every day. Tell your neighbor every day. See, it's not tomorrow. See, I, I've been married 40 years, okay? We're going on 41. Right, babe? Got a check. Biopsy. That's a sample. Not every day do we wake up in the morning and say, I feel so married today. Anybody? Anybody? Why do you think you get married to vows and not emotions? That's why when I do marriages, I don't let them make their vows. They can't make up their vows. Because their vows can, can say anything emotionally and nothing that is found in biblical truth. No, you got nothing to say to yourself except I do. Because I do lock you in to law. Marriage is law. Marriage is not emotions and feelings. That's why, hey, till death do you part. Sickness doesn't help. Better or for worse. I don't let people, you marry. I'm not that guy. Go get, go get uh, Prophet Peter Pan to do that for you. Go get... I ain't doing that stuff. We're going to have a biblical marriage or you're not going to have, because marriages of God giving you law. You marry to law. Why? Because emotionally, all, all law stabilizes you emotionally if you're intelligent. If you're intelligent. If you're not intelligent, you will allow your emotions to rule the day instead of getting back to the facts. Till death do us part. Sickness and in hell. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm, I'm just talking about some of the dumb stuff people do. That's why this, these leadership things, the discussions, they have to happen because you got people that got a bunch of happy talk with each other and really no law. How does the law keep us together? The law kept my wife and I together. Any marriages like that? That's the law that we couldn't turn our back on what we knew? Give me some amens. Help me out. I preached all night. Traveled all night. It's the law till death. Was, what does that mean? What does it look like? Anybody go to the gym? No? Okay, I see that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people don't go to the gym because they're afraid to get sore. But when they actually get there, they feel really good after until the next day. That's what law does. Until you act on it, your emotions will never kick in. Emotions follow actions. Orthodoxy, good teaching. Orthopraxy, good practice. Orthopathos, good feelings. Good teachings, good practice, good feelings. We want good feelings. We'll think about the, pra the practice. And then, you know what? I really don't care what the preacher says because I'm going to do whatever I want to do. We have to switch this thing around. I promise you, I won't get to this. But you have my slides. He can, he can preach it. Okay, what time? It's 1 o'clock? 1.15? Is that good? 
I'm good. Uh, Brian, I, look, I've seen Brian get mad. He ain't doing that to me. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, that's, that's my boy. Hey, that's my boy. Look. Hey. Yeah, yo, yeah, you see that? Look, yeah, you know. Hey, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's the look. My wife has the same look too. Watch this. Listen. To whom he also presented himself alive. Everybody say alive. After his sufferings. Listen. You're going to, listen. The ministry is difficult. The body of Christ is difficult. Building a church is difficult. And we have to get used to suffering. Second Corinthians talks to you about, about suffering in ministry about being depressed about what didn't go right and, and who didn't like you and, and what, who's against you and enemies and all this stuff. When things fall, everybody say, when things fall apart. See, when things fall apart, the law keeps you together. See. So you got to marry the ministry. Till death do us part. Sickness or in health. Better for worse, we're going to build Access Church. Come on. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. See, the church is a birth from the faith. Amen. Amen. Watch this. So, so if you're, you're in leadership, I'm, I praise the Lord you're here. But if you're not being challenged to get better, get stronger, commit. Stop making excuses because they only please those that give them. Remember that. Okay. I'm late, I'm sorry, keep it. Keep it, put it in your pocket. The other pastor accepted that. We don't accept that here. Why don't we accept that here? Because excuses only please those that give them. That we, we have to have a mastery of ministry. That's what we're getting, mastery, that we serve in master capacities. That means raise your game, clean your house, start there, make the bed. Everything in order. Stop playing the game. You look good and your house looks like garbage. Your truck's not washed. Your car's not washed. Your shoe's not shining. You got, you know, this is order. This is fundamental things that make a presentation to the community that they got their stuff in order. It's what you call diaskalos. Diaska, meaning good, teacher. Kalos, meaning excellent or master. See, we got to start mastering our message, mastering our lifestyle, mastering what we do. Paul, when Paul writes and says, and he gave some to be teachers, that's that diaskalos. That's that master teacher. That's the rabbi. So we have to step up our game. I, and, I, and I pray that, that as we start embracing what God's doing, that it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. That's why the sacrifice has to be made. That's why it's not about objects. It's not about positions. It's not about that. And if it is, it's because your position is your crown. You could stay here with it. Don't ever come to me and call me, call me by, oh, uh, should we call you prophet? No, you call me brother. 
If I'm a prophet, you'll know. I don't need to know. And I really don't care. Because I'm stuck on stupid. I'm stuck on the fact that my position is irrelevant to the great call of God. My responsibility to understand the call of God, that's a different thing. Call me whatever you want, but don't call me a coward. We got to move forward, amen? Okay. Huh, I like that. I got to close in five minutes, and now you're saying amen. <laughs> Brian. It's like I said, you know, it's not the ministry that makes the place miserable. It's the people we should have fired, right? Hallelujah. See, don't, don't forget. You see, the positions you have, they hire you for who you say you are, then they fire you for who you really are. See? See, and as you walk, that's why you got to walk. That's why you got to discern. You know, if you got to, if I got to think on why I got to keep you, then I'm, I got to let you go now. Why? For the, because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than bad behaviors. It's bigger than, um, you know, you know, human error that refused to be repented of. It's bigger than all those things. Don't get caught on people with the gift or giftings. Get caught up with their maturity level. Always ask, how old are you? Are you 50 years of experience and 50 years old? Or are you 50 years and you're still acting like you're 27? 26. It's time to grow. What Access Church is going to do is just absolutely amazing. Where you're going, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just, just say it. Just say it. Well, listen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Everybody say infallible. You know, The Bible has been, you know how they, how, how, why they keep the Bible or they have theology in all the universities? Because of the infallible proofs. Not because they like Jesus. It's because they can't do away with him. They can't, they can't get rid of the Bible. They can't because of the infallible proofs. And then we come to the church and we got to convince you that there is infallible proofs. And you want to, you want to lead something you don't believe. Because you need something to do. No. Do the autopsy again. Because it's infallible. I remember, I remember I looked at my kids. My kids are the result of an autopsy. Because I had to die in order to see my kids have grandkids. I'm a result of constant looking at what God did for me and who did it for me and why he did it for me and constant adjustments of don't be stupid, don't be a doofus, don't be a doofus. You can't do this. Yes, you can. Si se puede, no se puede. 
and you prove, everybody say prove. See, because you look at the in, infallible proofs. I know, I hear it. Who's playing that music? That might quit music. That's, of course it is. See, now he set up Micah to give me the look. <laughs> Deflection, pastor. Micah. Listen, it's infallible being. Being seen by them during the 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. So, so now we, we have that, that piece down. The infallible truth, undeniable. You go, to, you go to the next piece in this chapter and we'll quit here. I promise. Again. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. You shall receive power. Right? Dunamis power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and then you shall be witnesses. Now, I'm going to show you why you need to know your Bible. Now, some of you, oh, why do you always go to the Greek? Because the Greek is the anchor point for my truth. That's where you can come to epistemology, meaning how did the preacher come to that thought? See, we leave preachers off the hook all the time. They say things and we don't even fact check them. That's why they, you got preachers sounding more like Tony Robbins than Billy Graham. You know, I'll, I'll leave names out. Anyway, I know some of you go, tell it all, tell it. My wife goes, lawsuit, lawsuit. <laughs> Listen, this word witness, this word witness. Now, he uses the word witness, eyewitness, right? And then he uses witness in this verse. See, but once you do the autopsy, he uses the Greek word martyr, martyrdom, not autopsy. Because once you do the autopsy, you're willing to die for what you see. That's why if you ain't ready to die, you ain't ready for this thing. This is the hill we die on, building the kingdom of God. Because once I've seen the risen Savior, know why he died for me. Know why I do what I do. Then I am ready to die for him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to die for him. I'll die for the truth. I'll take the bullet. I will stand in front of the truth of God's word and not back down because I autopsied the body. I cannot be talked into this, this gay Christianity, this cultural believism, all this crazy stuff that's out there because I've done the autopsy. We do not entertain foolishness. It's foolishness of this world. So, brother, that's harsh words. No, Paul was even worse. Foolishness is the Greek word morono, where you get the word morons. He says, you guys are moronic. You're not dumb, you're morons. What? I really wish Paul would preach to me. No, you don't. You look at the Greek, you don't want Paul preaching to you. See, leadership is really doing the autopsy that you can't shake what you saw and what you discovered. If what you're living on is stronger than what you've seen and discovered, you're staring at the wrong things. You're examining self. Examine the body. Examine the word of God. Examine it. 
Ask yourself why even the atheistic schools have a theology school. Because they can't get rid of the evidence. And we in the church have to get familiar with the evidence. It's that being, well, we want the, we want the community to like us. We're not seeker friendly. We are friendly because we have seeked him. My wife said something powerful, so I'm going to steal it from her. She's not concerned about being nice. She's concerned about always being kind. I said, baby, where'd you get that? What Greek word is that from? She goes, that's French. See, we have to start connecting the dots emotionally to grow correctly. You know, my, my son's getting married. Forty-one. He wasn't ready. This is mama's baby. Mom wouldn't let him go. I'm just kidding. And, and I sat down with them. And I told them. Told them both. We are Bible-believing, biblical, worldview-speaking Christians. Followers of Christ. This is what we do and this is who we are because we did the autopsy. Not because my daddy told me, my mama taught me, we were raised this way, we were, no, no, no. It, that, that, we're not tradition. We are factual evidence-based living. See, because we followed the bios, we followed the zao, and we found zoe. You get the terms? See, we're not this way because, you know, this is all we know how to do. There's nothing better to do. No, my wife would much rather be at a beach by herself than in churches preaching. But our demand has come because we've seen the evidence. The apostolic, the fivefold, the teacher, it's all based on evidence. Do you notice that when Christ rose from the dead and they went and Peter and John go into the, go into the tomb, they see, they see his clothes, but they see his napkin folded. Why was the napkin folded? Because it's the five-fold ministry that was on his face. That unless... It unfolds. See, we, we, we are folding together. We're connected together. We have to continue to allow the face of God to unfold us. I'm unfolding. You're unfolding. Access Church is unfolding to this community. I'm so proud of what you guys have done and accomplished. But this is just a fold in what's coming. Because there's more wisdom that's necessary for the next fold. See, I never talk money. Brian knows that. 
Did I ever mention anything? You sure? Twisted, I put a gun to your head. Said, I'll be here for... And you got guys, well, you know what? If I'm going to preach this, it got to be this amount. Right? No, baby. We don't do that. Why? Because I'm going to pay you and then you're going to suck. No. A labor is worthy of his wages. Labor first, and then I'll see if there's any value there. I know I'm a little backwards. Why? Because in the folding of my ministry, my finances are in my assignment. They're not in my engagements in my assignment. So as I move, he moves. See, this is this is a strange way of doing things biblically again. And I try to talk to all my prophet friends, well tell them I need this, huh? <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna I, I, I feel bad because you're gonna preach the same sermon you preached over there, over here. Y'all need to do YouTube searches. <laughs> Y'all need to laugh. Nobody, needs, nobody does an autopsy on ministries. You should. You should. Examine. So you come to your conclusions. When your pastor preaches, Pastor, can I have your notes? Why shouldn't you? That's how he got his knowledge. That's what you're supposed to live off of. And when you understand that you are under a master preacher, a master prophet, a master apostle, a master pastor, guess what? <laughs> Not pastor disaster, but master pastor. <laughs> you can get lazy because you trust everything that they say. That's why we always, where'd you get that point from? How'd, that get, how'd you get there? See, leadership is teaching you to see. Do you see what we see? Can you describe what we see? Brian don't need 300 people walking behind him. He needs people looking. Head on a swivel. 600 eyes looking ahead saying, hey, we see something. <laughs> well, let's talk about this thing. See, we need to do autopsies again. Reevaluate ourselves. Take a good look at why we do what we do. And is it evidence-based? Not gift-based, not talent-based, but evidence-based. I tried to quit ministry so much, so long. Yes. Oh, here he is. Look, 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 look. Hey, that's like me scolding my dad. <laughs> and my dad goes, my dad goes, He's 92, I'm taking care of him, right? And I go, Dad, just, just, I'll, I'll help you. And he looks at me and goes, am I frustrating you yet? <laughs> I'm like, no, Dad, you're wonderful, you're awesome, you're amazing. Well, let's talk. No, we don't want to talk, Dad. I got to clean up this mess. But submit your talents to what you see, what you come to understand. 
take the pressure off each other and put it on the evidence. Be responsible for what you know to be true. Put your marriage in light of your vows. Stop whining and start doing. Commitment has no feelings. It only has action. Actions will produce good feelings. Trust me. Leadership is self-responsibility. Let's go access church. Let's be responsible. God bless you.